Welcome back, Kafka and Bond listeners. In today's episode, we're joined by Daniel Hakim, the founder and CEO of Australia's fastest growing community of accomplished entrepreneurs. Cub is more than just a network, it's a business family. Cub stands for the Club of United Business and is a member's club exclusively for entrepreneurs and business owners, enabling them to connect and to grow their business owners network. Cub is a new generation of business community with a diverse membership representing the modern Australia and it has changed the way our country's leaders connect. Daniel talks about his story and his upbringing. He talks about to us about how he was exposed to business from a young age and he discusses what inspires him to create Cub and to continue with his new app, BOA. He talks about the importance of forming relationships with other business owners and how Cub helps facilitate this. With Tony and I both being members of Cub, we're really excited to give you this story today. So please sit back, enjoy. Cool. So, Daniel, welcome to the Coffin Bomb Podcast. Thanks for having me. Mate, now look, it's it's interesting. We've actually got you on our podcast, but you've got your own podcast, which we'll get to a bit later. So it's always interesting doing doing the interviewing in that regard. But mate, I want to start off with your story. I know Tony and you have spoken about it before and the similarities in growing up. But mate, I, I want to sort of hear about your background and and would love to hear about your upbringing. Well, um, I've always been around business. I was the son of two migrants. So my dad was from. Lebanon, my mum's Mexican, so she, she migrated from Mexico City, and um, and my family was always in small businesses, and, and, and they, they did uh, end up creating some, some very successful businesses, so business was just what I knew, um, I was born in Sydney, and, and uh, so I knew business, I knew Australia, and one day when I was 14, I uh, got confronted with a conversation, maybe when I was 13, 13 14, uh, my parents sat me down. They said, "Look, um, because of business, we are we're going to move overseas." And at that time, uh, they were launching uh, something in London, and and um, and obviously fought that with with great might. But uh, to my despite, in, in, ended up moving over with my family, and that ended up being one of the best things ever because it opened my eyes to the world. It opened my eyes to um, uh, to new friendships, to, to other large families of business, and to, to just to, to, to more business really. And, and uh, I learned the power of, uh, of a network, um, and that's where I really was introduced to members clubs uh, in Paris and London and Europe, which is the business I ended up uh, getting into. So as I came so back, was it your father that introduced you to those clubs at that time? No, it was my friends. I went to um, so I was there. I went to an international school. So, um, so mostly these were kids from families of business um, who uh, were very worldly, uh, much more so than me because I was all the way in Australia, um, whereas they, they knew the world very much. And, you know, by the time I got to 16, 17, 18, um, uh, I was experiencing you know, different members clubs, private communities. I, I was in great networks and I could see the benefit of that. And... Um, um, I actually came back to Australia. I graduated St. Ignatius College in Riverview in Sydney. Um, and then uh, I went back to, to, to Paris for, um, for university. And, and uh, that's when I really got to see a lot of members clubs. So when I came back to Australia, finally, 
I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to do a business. Uh, I knew that's what I was. If you asked me when I was ten, I would have said, I would have said uh, business. But but yeah, I knew business, I was going to do a business. Yeah. And but I also wanted to meet people in Australia because you know, I, I, by that point I'd been away for a while, and I looked up members clubs, and the only ones I could see were the kind of old gentlemen's like the men's only type of thing. And I was yep. like, why? Well, they don't look great. And B, they probably wouldn't take me anyway. So <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I bet you there's some other people like me. They want to be part of something, but you know, there's just not a community for us. Um, and so that's, that's, that's kind of how the idea for CUB, which stands for the Club of United Business, yeah. um, that's, how, that's how that started, to create a, to create a, a community, uh, a, a leadership community that represents the modern and diverse face of Australian business. So, so you've got the concept and you've got an idea, but but it's always interesting to to bring that to life. So, you know, you started with this concept. How did you bring Cub to life? You know, was it a reaching out to a few friends to become the first members? Was it finding a location? Sort of, how do you bring that concept to life? Well, I, I got the location in the first one in Potts Point in, in Sydney, and to, well, to start a community is pretty hard because you need to find people to start it with. Yeah, and so and. Um, when I speak, sometimes I can get people excited. So it's like, because like, yeah, I get so excited and everyone starts, oh, this is a great idea. So, yeah, I think that was worked to my advantage. But I ended up getting very lucky. I had some great entrepreneurs who thought it was a really good idea and, and kind of helped me start being kind of some of our founding members. And, and, and to this day, they're still very good friends of mine and involved. And these are people like Jeremy Cabral from Finder.com. His sister, Elise Daniels, who had her own clothing business at the time. Uh, Chris King, who owns Splend, a uh, very successful um, tech and finance and rental company. Uh, Jane Liu from Showpo. So I actually got together like a, I basically made a little friendship circle of, of really cool people that I had just met too. And, um, and with them involved, it just kind of grew from there. Uh, that being said, it, you know, it changed a lot. So, Cub was, because I was uh, uh, 23, Cub was supposed to be for young entrepreneurs. But, uh, and, and definitely those people I just mentioned were, at that time were all very young. Um, but what I found very quickly is that um, the demographic that was attracted to something like Cub um, were a, a bit more mature, a bit more, more established in business, and by nature they were older because time helps business. And so we very quickly learned that it's not the early stage businesses and the startups that that wanted Cub. Um, they had uh, co-working spaces and all these type of meetup groups and things that they had at the time. And it wasn't the biggest businesses uh, and, and owners because, well, they got all the money and they've already put in their 30, 40-year career. They've got, they've got great networks. They're not too worried. It was the next generation of, like, up and coming. It's the next generation of big businesses. They were the ones who were who were joining, and the reason was there were so few people in their position because, you know, once you break out of small business land, there's much fewer people. <laughs> you know, there's so many, so few, and the statistics of businesses getting past two million in revenue is, is, is very small. So once you break through that, it's like, shit, where is everybody? And it's, it, it, this is really hard, and I want to connect with other people in the same position to kind of help me. And that's who was coming. So, so we had to adapt that. Um, um, and, and, uh, and, and, and market to that demographic. 
which was funny because at the time we were very young. So we, <laughs> we, we, I was 23, and uh, the staff we had at that point were really young too. And, you know, we, we were kind of selling it to, to people much more established than we were, uh, but who backed us and liked it. The next problem we had was that um, we needed to design systematic services that uh, guaranteed every member something. Um, because what happens is you sign all these people up, it sounds great, like, oh, we're going to connect everyone, it's going to be wicked, you know, trust me, trust me. And they sign up because it does sound great and they like you. But then they realise, oh, wait a second, how, you know, how do I actually get involved? What, what is actually on? How do I, you know, I'm busy, I can't attend an event. And so the next big question is how do you design a service or a product that you guarantee every member receives that kind of a minimum level of engagement or product and and uh, so that was the next big objective that we had to do yeah so with the impact so jamie can i just interrupt just for one moment first of all daniel i want to say thank you for changing the rules so this 54 year old could become a member as well (laughs) i really appreciate that thank you (laughs) Uh, because i have found the group to be absolutely outstanding of all different age groups um, and different businesses and things like that so i have found it to be um outstanding but i will just add to something you said when you do get to that certain level and as you said you know it can be that over two million dollars you're now employing 20 people 30 people etc life as an entrepreneur can actually become quite lonely uh, because all of a sudden you're working long hours, you're not spending as much time with your family, you're spending more time with the people you employ than what you actually are in clients and what you are for your family. So having something like Cub, um, if nothing else comes from it for us, we have just formed some amazing friendships and amazing groups of people around us by actually being members where, you know, I would, there was, uh, Simon Sapatis organized it the other day where we all went and had, uh, dinner, or well, a few of us went and had dinner at his father's restaurant and it was amazing. And we all smoked cigars afterwards, met people that I'd never met before. And that was all out of this. So I can honestly say, first of all, thank you. But secondly, it does become lonely as a successful entrepreneur life does but that's the so what you described there is really our goal working like we say internally we're in the business of making friends between business owners because um you're not going to like everybody so you've got to treat everyone well respect everybody and help people when you can because that's just being a good person but you're not going to like really connect with everybody so we have to provide people the opportunity to connect with um, uh, people that will, enough people that they will find the relationships that are going to serve them and vice versa long term. And when you like someone, you're going to go out of your way to help them, and they're going to be front of mind. And you, they're a friend now. So I'm going, you know, I'm going to, uh, someone's talking about the business they do. Oh, you should speak to this person. They'll, you know, they'll do it. And it's by slowly uh, building these. Relationships. That is what building a network is. You're building relationships, and 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 the strongest relationships you're going to have are friendships. They become friendships. So our goal is that. And what you'll find most business owners in general, really, what what they'll say is, like, I I don't want to talk to my family about my business because I don't want to stress them out. You know, I I want to separate the two. My family is my safe space as well. For me, it's mentally I need that. I can't talk to my friends. Because they, they may not be in the same position. They may not uh, be doing business or running a business. And therefore, do I sound like a bit of a dickhead type of thing? Like, you know, am I, do I sound arrogant when I'm talking? So they get scared of talking to them. 
So they're looking for that third community. You know, it's kind of like, well, where's my business community? And and that's where Cub uh, really steps in. And because it's um, it's a very organic, like our whole method of the networking is is very organic um, and relaxed. Um, it helps facilitate real relationships and, and, and ideally valuable relationships um, uh, between people. And, and, and like Tony, that's kind of what you were describing. Like that, that we didn't organise that. You're saying that a mem- like a group of members did that. That's the holy grail for Cub. That means it's working. You know, when we don't have to actually do it, the members start doing it themselves. Um, so it's just so important to surround yourself with the right people, and it's just never been easy to do that. And all we did at Cub was make that easier. So, Daniel, when we're talking about the infancy of the business and, and you've got your mates and you're starting to grow it and the rules are changing, um, what was your role back then? So we know the level of service there is now, and we'll get back into that sort of a bit later in the podcast. But, you know, were you front of house, ringing around sales? Were you everything at the start of Cub, or, or how did it sort of look in its infancy? Yeah, yeah everyone kind of does everything. Like, it's like a yeah. new business. Like I was doing – because back then we also had hospitality, which we don't anymore um, as part of the – pivot in service. But back then there were waiters and things, kind of like a more, you know, because I was used to members clubs overseas, they're all hospitality venues. I learned very quickly in Australia that doesn't work, so so we pivoted away from that. And actually our, our members didn't want that. Our members wanted, if you ask them why they joined, they said, I want to meet, I want to meet other people in, in the same position as me. They never said, I want to have a private restaurant. They always said, I want to meet other people in the same position. So we designed our services to do that and only that and deleted all the other costs. But, but at the start, I was serving people definitely. I was mostly the sales person. Yeah. Um, and I was also very much the relationship manager. So, like, everybody knew me. I knew everybody. I was selling everybody. People would walk into the club. I'd be talking to a member. I'd sell a, you know, I'd sell a membership to someone that was in the club. Then I'd introduce them to, that, to, to you know, whoever was in the club at that time, which was just random. We never knew. It was just whoever came and whatever. Um, but... Yeah, I definitely did everything. And then slowly over time, like, you'll find one person who, you know, does the, can take the sales off you. And then you find one person who's, like, taken, at that point, the hospitality off you. Uh, And then there's the most important person, like, for me was the admin, like, the organized person. Like, we didn't even have a membership list. There's no joke. We we couldn't have told you when your renewal was or, like, we didn't even know who our members were. <laughs> it was chaos. It was, this, I'm talking the first year or two, and I'm being really honest here. Um, until someone comes along and says, wait a second, like, where's our membership list? And how are we tracking who's renewed and who hasn't paid yet? Sorry, guys. I've got a call and on my iPad. Let me just turn my phone off. Um. You know, that admin person was 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 uh, um, was like the holy grail, and actually, she she is now our operations manager. So she she actually is kind of the boss of all the bosses, and um, because she created she she made something real. You know, a company's not real unless you have the systems in place and people know what they're doing. You can train them on that. Until then, it's a group of people that you know you might be functioning well together, but if someone leaves you're screwed because no one knows how that person's doing what you can't train anyone there's no document you know you're 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 susceptible to the pain of of people movement which is happens particularly as a young business so so yeah you just slowly replace functions 
But but um, but my theory was always get money. Because once you have money, money solves all your problems. If I have money, I can pay for people. And I, my goal was always first was just get the money, then I could solve the problems. Because if I got no money, I can't solve problems anyway. So my goal was always get the revenue, get the money, and then solve the problems. And that worked sometimes, but that worked more than more than it didn't. But but that definitely got me through because I could hire people because we had money. Yeah. So we talk about the expansion of the business and what we know it now, and, and, and we've talked about those infancy and, and sort of struggles early on. But so you've, you've got your Potts Point location. Now the business is a lot larger and expanded within Melbourne now and, and looking into Brisbane. So what was the next step for Cub once you sort of figured out your membership base, you, you figured out sort of what people wanted, they didn't want that private restaurant, sort of, you know, COVID happens. Talk me through some of those ex- like expansion plans and your thinking around them. Well, for Cub, especially, well, COVID aside, leaving COVID out for now, the, the first thing was that we expanded too soon. Yeah. So we opened Melbourne too soon. We weren't ready. I took, I thought we were because we were making money. Um, but we had no operations and systems yet and we didn't have a, like, the team wasn't there long enough yet. We, we just didn't have it. We opened Melbourne in the second year, and I did it because people were saying to me, like, members were saying to me, it'd be so great to have one in Melbourne and to have a community in Melbourne. And people in Melbourne were saying, hey, we'd love for you to open. So I didn't listen to myself. I listened to others and, and, and did it. In hindsight, whatever, I've got Melbourne now. But, like, it did scar me a little because I took one good – I took one performing company and split it into two – poorly performing companies. Um, and so that, like, uh, it made me a bit gun-shy. So I vowed after that to say, I'm not, I'm not going to open another, biz- like, club business, because they're all, you know, they're in kind of business. I'm not going to open another one until, I am, until I'm, I'm certain that I'm ready. And so from... And to be ready, I needed two things. I needed... Uh, money was never a problem because we could always get money. We, we could always um, – we were great at selling memberships and our members were um, staying. At the start, they were staying less than now, but, but you know, you get better at your services and managing people, so it gets, it gets very high. Um, but, but money was never the problem, so we knew we could get the money to, to scale. The problem was very much more so team and not just finding people, but people being with you long enough to actually – you know, time is the most, like, you can't get away from it. You, you need yeah. people to work with you, to know the business, to know the members, to, like, time at Cub is really important. So we couldn't get away from that. And then there were operations. And the operations are mostly to do with um, the servicing of the members. Um, and our operations are extreme. Everyone thinks it's easy to start a community. It is so hard to run a community-based business. You try to, or, imagine trying to, facilitate introductions and connections between thousands of business owners. They, they, don't, they, they don't even read their emails. They're getting <laughs> them to show up at the right place at the right time with the right people and make sure they like those people. Make sure you're measuring their engagement. So if they're unengaged, you can boost them up. You get, you know, it's extraordinarily hard to do that. And it took us many, many years, like five years even, to, to get close to, 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 to getting really good at that. And just as we got really good at it, uh, or at least good enough to scale, then COVID 
um, hit. And I was thinking, like at the time, I always felt Cup would do really good in a recession because when shit hits the fan, that's when you need people the most. It's, it's when there's a problem that you need community. It's not when you're thriving. When you're thriving, you're thinking about yourself. So when there's a problem, all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I need, you know, <laughs> need people. So I always thought recession-wise, Cub would be really good. But we are a networking company, and that's in person. I believe people need to be in person um, to, to, to bond anyway and to, to build real relationships. Um, and so when COVID hit, I thought we were kind of screwed because obviously it was a lockdown. It wasn't just a financial problem. It was a, we weren't able to do what we do. And um, my, my playbook, I guess, for COVID, after like a week, I didn't panic. I, I don't panic too much, to be honest. I get yeah. really energetic. Our teams actually, we, actually, we say we're better, we're better when we're at war. You know, when something's wrong is when Cub does really, really well. Um, and that's probably because of me. I, it makes it more fun for me. So I get more, you know, more into it. But what our theory was, let's, I didn't want to change how we do what we do. Because then you have to reteach people new things. So I said, how can we do exactly the same thing we're doing with the exact same reporting and the exact same systems, but we have to do it digitally? And that's what we did. We just did it in any way we could. We did exactly the same processes, but we did everything through Zoom, which at the time we didn't even know what Zoom was. I don't think anyone knew what Zoom was at the time, but, but we certainly didn't. We figured out after maybe two months that, well, wait a second, our... Uh, engagement, so average engagement per member, meaning how many times they're at events and meeting people, is up. So our members were more engaged than ever. We, we, we dramatically increased our communication as well. But our members were more engaged and we were hosting events on like how to get the government funding, how to do this. And like it was just, we tailored everything to, to the situation. Yeah. And then we started selling more than ever. So we realized, oh shit, like this is going good. This is, this is, like, I got confident. Then, yeah, and was, was the feedback at that time, I guess, because people were so isolated that they were looking forward to these events because they were actually able to connect with people again? I was just about to say that, Jamie. COVID was a very lonely time. Yeah, and there was no way to connect with people other than Cub. We became the only way. And not just that. For Cub, it was even better because you guys are always busy and we take time from you because networking takes time. Relationship building is a time, it takes time to do. All of a sudden, you had all the time in the world and you had no way to connect with anyone. So, Cub became like the holy, like it was the best way, most efficient way, and, and it, it was, you had all the time to spend at Cub. Yeah. So, we, we boomed. And then what would happen is there would be change. And this is where the governments always screw up because business always freezes whenever there's like, whenever something's about to change. Everyone freezes, whether it's like, well, lockdown's coming back, lockdown, you know, we're coming out of lockdown, we're going into lockdown, we're changing a rule. Whenever there was a change, I knew that there was going to be a lag. So I was just trying to control the business around those changes to balance those changes with our outward, you know, with our outbound sales efforts. And, and, and it was mostly to do with sales. With engagement, it was, it was pretty much consistent and fine. So what that did, though, was we got much stronger. Being digital means our reporting and our all operations, because when you do things digitally, ops have to be far superior than in person. So our ops got stronger, um, and we moved into the technology world as well. We started building technology back in, like our whole cub back, like the back end of how we report and manage you guys, 
is, um, is, is a platform that we've built. And the front-facing platform you guys have and see is the app, the Tab app. Um, but the back end is, um, is our basically CRM. Um, and, and obviously we've moved on from that now. We've launched BOA, which is basically a digital cub. We won't talk about BOA today because we're focused on cub. But, but my point is everything happens for a reason if you're looking for that reason. And there's always a next step. And now cub's in the situation where we're, uh, instead of opening new territories, my priority was to move the existing territories into better spaces. So we moved uh, Sydney, or we opened the Sydney CBD on the most expensive corner of Sydney because at this point, Cubs are really premium brand. Everybody knows it. it, it you know, it's it's a, it's a premium networking platform. It's a two minute walk from our Sydney office. Yeah, it's on. Top I of still, and I still haven't gone in yet. <laughs> it's on a, top of Louis Vuitton, across yeah. from across from Cartier and next to Apple. It's the most expensive corner, and bang, Cubs right there in Shanghai. We moved Melbourne from um, um, a nice area. The, Queen and Collins Street, the more legal precinct. Yeah, legal, legal precinct, yep. To, to the Paris end of town, smack on Collins Street, and one of the best-known buildings in the big, beautiful uh, space. And now that we've done those, um, yeah, Brisbane is opening. And we're now ready to just start popping over. We could pop over in a clubhouse whenever at this point in time. We've got the team, we've got the ops, we've got the money. Um, and uh, we've got yeah, the next priority is uh, uh, Brisbane, and then most likely a Parramatta or Gold Coast. But we actually have London targeted for 2026. So we want to start looking. We're ready to be overseas. And we think we could compete in that market. Um, but I think we'd kick ass in that market, to be honest, because because we're Australian, because yeah. we have the limited, we have different demographics, different population density, a smaller market. Like, because we're Australian, I think we're going to dominate when we go overseas cause, because we're unique and we've been forced to be unique. Um, so it's a false point of difference just being in this market, and, and I think that's going to be beneficial for us. So that, 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 that's literally our expansion plan. Daniel, one of the things that I can openly say as a member, the working with your team uh, has been exceptional. The, you know, so, and I've worked predominantly with your team here in Melbourne. The, you know, getting the reminder and the Zoom link for tomorrow morning's meeting, as an example, you know, coming through the day before, um, having the, uh, we had an off, um, an off-premises, uh, meeting in your boardroom at the TNG building in Melbourne. And, you know, the way Holly and Bree and Tara looked after us was just exceptional to the point where one of my fellow directors turned around and said, how do we hire somebody like her? You know, so just front of house, you know, so that, they're so warm and welcoming and love a chat. You know, we had a, we had a professional's lunch, or I was at a professional's lunch, uh, probably about three weeks ago, uh, now, and Holly was there and she just, she knows everyone. She speaks to everyone and, and it's, when you walk into the premise, it is, is just so welcoming. But as you're saying, the operations in the, in the back is sensational as well. The, the, those reminders, the, you know, getting there, the, the core sessions that you want to run. So, you know, I'll, I'll get you to explain the core sessions, but the core sessions have just been fantastic. You know, I've got, um, you know, Julia and Jordan from mine, Julia, uh, Strangio McCrane, Jordan, uh, Papadopoulos, you know, so they've actually been podcast guests and we've formed really good relationships with them. You know, Do- uh, Dr. Lillian Nijad was one of our guests as well. 
Carlisle, uh, Peter Scrine from Crescent Capital in Sydney. So these are these are people that we've really formed great relationships with that have come out of core sessions um, as well. So actually, Lillian was from listening to your podcast when you interviewed her, and I thought we have to get her as one of ours. Uh, so so I have listened to yours as well. Uh, so but those core sessions, how did you come up with that idea and the change and how it works? Because I find them sensational. I'll tell you the actual. This is this yeah. is exactly what happened. So this is early. So this is probably 2018, and at that time we were doing a lot of events, but there was no uh, the members that were easier to engage. So the ones who would come themselves, basically, they would engage. They would be self-engaging. They would be hyper engaged. The members who weren't self-engaging were not engaged, which is a big problem for a company like us because if you're not engaged, you're not getting value. Therefore, you're not renewing, and we're in the renewing business. So we set, we, we, I'll never forget, we, I sat with our operations manager and I said, we need to create something that we just funnel every single member through and at the minimum it guarantees them something. And uh, it's called Core, K-O-R, because we said, okay, why do people network? Like, what are the values a network gives you? Well, it gives you knowledge because you can ask for advice and people share in, in, insights and things with you, so knowledge. And, um, well, you do business because... People trust you, you're meeting new people, so business opportunities are coming up, new clients, partnerships, all sorts of investments are coming up all the time. And you're building relationships that make you stronger as an entrepreneur, you're building friendships. And so we said, okay, well, those are the three ways the network benefits you. Let's create a system that delivers those three things to, to every single member. And that's what Core was. Core was um, uh, th- so uh, three times a year. Every member is placed in a strategic group of roughly 10 people, and, and that group meets uh, uh, over that season three times, each time with a specific purpose. One is to build relationships, one is to learn from each other, and one is to find opportunities together. And so we literally build that, and now we've adapted that over time to, to work better and better. But that was, we literally sat down and said, well, every single member needs a minimum. And by, by guaranteeing that we're going to, I made that confusing at the end. I'll go back. We could then guarantee that every member was going to meet and have the, not just meet, but have the opportunity to build a relationship with a minimum of 30 other uh, accomplished entrepreneurs with every year of membership. Because they were going to be put in groups of 10 and there were three seasons, so you'd have three different groups throughout a year. So even if you didn't attend any other event whatsoever, which we do something like 200 of, if you didn't even do any of that, you just did call, you're still meeting a minimum of 30 people. Can you get value from meeting 30 people if we did our job correctly and selected groups appropriate for, for you? I mean, 90% of members can. So, so that was, that was, call was one of the biggest, uh, most important things we ever did. And what that did was every, the engagement of the entire community, bang, went up at the same time, as opposed to it being lopsided, some people up, some people down. There still is some people higher, some people lower, but everybody's on our minimum, at least. And that was that was that was a very pivotal moment in in Cubs journey. I think it's been tremendous because you're meeting, you're actually forced to get out of your comfort zone and meet brand new people uh, that you might not have anything in common with whatsoever, and they genuinely. And I've, I've only as you know, only been a member, say, for six months or so. So I've only been part of one call group, so um, the three sessions. But everyone genuinely goes out of the way to help each other. 
It, it really, it, it is, it is actually genuine. And that's the part that I love most about it. But that's, that's relevant to all businesses. So for example, like Cub is a community and community, like, like your business is a community. Like every, every business is a community and every business has its values and it has its leadership who act in a certain way. And it's got things that you expect from your team. And, and so we, we have that. We have that for our team, which is, of course, we have to have it on steroids because that way kind of the members see that and the members then do that, understand that this is our culture. But we also do induct. So when members join, they have to be inducted. During this, when they're being um, uh, introduced to the club and, 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 and learning about the club, we're, we're sharing how the club works and how it functions culturally then as well. They're inducted uh, at the events the team upholds those values and the members that are in leadership positions in, within those events and communities uphold those values. So that all comes down to, to um, uh, culture creation. And, and that's like, we obviously we're in the people business. So we are in, we literally build communities for, for, for a living. But I would argue every business builds communities for a living because you need to build a community of your, you know, of your employees, of your staff, of like for the team, I, I prefer that word, but, your team needs its own cultures, its own culture, which is made up of its values and how people interact with each other. And that's going to very much dictate a point of difference between you and your um, competition because they'll notice, like you guys notice that the team in Melbourne are, are really organised, really attentive. They're, 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 mostly they make you feel special. That's what they should be. And the reason you should feel special is because we're in the people business we, we, we need, we, our members want to feel special because they're business owners, they work hard, they should feel special. But, but we tell everybody, when people arrive at Cub, it should be like they arrive at their grandparents' house or, or a family member hasn't seen them, they're so excited to see them, like, how you going? Like, you know, you feel a bit special. How often do you walk in a place, you feel special? It's like when I go to a restaurant that knows me, they know, okay, he's going to spend a bit of money. I like Daniel, he's great, he, he brings his clients. Ah, oh, Mr. Hakim, how are you? I've got you a normal table. You know, I only go to that restaurant. Because I feel special there, and I look special, and you know, so so giving people that emo- people remember emotions, you know, they remember a feeling, and if your team can give someone a feeling, um, they people like that, they get addicted to it, and 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 I think it's just an easy thing, and also in today's world, everything's become shit. So when you call like post COVID, if you call like to get your car fixed or to get to book a flight or to like it's as if service has just prices have skyrocketed and service has just fallen over. And I've got my own theories as to why that's all happened. But um, but um, I mean prices are self-explanatory. But serve, why service has fallen over? But but um, but if you can just be the opposite to that, and and a great way to do that is through culture, and um, so that way you don't have to manage it. It's just kind of how your team acts. I, I think that's really, I think that's something every business can do. Daniel, I was um, invited to be a guest speaker at Sydney University, so the School of Entrepreneurship, uh, so it's one of their lectures. So, and basically, you know, my 30-year journey of what we've actually done, and I actually spoke about the importance of networking because when you first joined the industry 30 years ago, I didn't know anyone. So, you know, the idea of cold calling was just horrified me, but it's just something that you actually had to do. You had to meet people you didn't know, basically. And one of the young guys there who's a computer whiz said, uh, he said, I feel very uncomfortable networking. 
and I asked him, what do you feel uncomfortable about? And he said, well, going going to events and basically being fake and, you know, handing out a business card to try and drum up business. And that's where I actually mentioned Cub. And I said, well, I've actually just become a member of this organization called Cub, which is about networking. But one of the great things uh, I said, I actually said what you were just talking about. I said, one of the great things about Cub is it actually puts you, if you're uncomfortable in being in those positions, nobody there has sat me down and forced anything upon me that I didn't ask for or want. So in the first place, I've got to meet so many great people. I've learned from these great people as well, you know, as well. And yes, we've picked up some clients, which is also lovely. And interestingly enough, I did, which I didn't realize until I became a member, uh, a couple of your members actually are longstanding clients of mine anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah, because as you know, we work with SME. So it was, it was actually quite interesting. As I was saying is that you don't have to think of networking as being sleazy. If you have a look at an organization like Cub, it is so welcome and so inclusive and that everyone is there to actually help everyone and if you've got a great story to tell this is a safe environment to tell your story yes but i don't blame the person for not liking networking because networking oh he's a 22 year old who's yeah, in fear yeah that's why no one likes to do it that's why that's right. did so well it's because yeah. it made networking cool and fun and, and efficient but but networking sucks like yeah. when you go to those events and people are giving you cards like what, what's going on here like, who are you anyway what, <laughs> what you know but but that's why, like, I just think that's a relevant thing for all markets or industries. Like, is there something that sucks or, or in your line of business, in your industry, what sucks and how can I not do that? <laughs> you know, how can we not do that? And, and, and when, there's a, when there's a whole process that, that is not good, like, I mean, look at, like, Canva or even Afterpay. Like, you could, I'm just using really kind of obvious big companies, but... Like, how am I going to create business marketing, like, you know, pretty looking things? If I didn't have Canva, I'd have to get someone, pay them big money, or if I did it, it sucked. I wouldn't even know how to do it. Like, and then Canva comes along, I can do it for really cheap or free, and I can quickly put together a thing. Bang. They took something that sucked, and they made it good. Afterpay. Oh, I'm a young um, 23-year-old man or woman, and... I really want to buy this item, but you know I'm not making that much money, and I don't want to outlay a thousand bucks. Oh, great! I can I can do it in four installments. Like this is that sucked. If I had to pay a thousand bucks, now it doesn't suck anymore. It's 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 better. And it's manageable. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, Cub, how would I meet people? How would I network? How would I meet particularly accomplished entrepreneurs and business owners? There's no other way. No other efficient way. And if there was, it would be shitty because you have to go to this random event with these random people. You're not comfortable. You're in a new environment. You don't know anyone. The whole idea of it is scary and the whole thing sucks. But then with Cup, you come, you walk in, you know people straight away. You know the team. Everyone welcomes you. You know what you're there for, who you're meeting. The other members know you or know each other or will introduce you. The culture's great. No one's allowed to sell or trying to sell because there's no hard sell, sales policy and everybody knows the culture. So it, it becomes this really beautiful process where all of a sudden you feel welcome and a part of this community of accomplished people who want to help each other. So it's the same. It's the same. Um, you just need to find what's not good in your industry and, and find a way to make it good. And I think Cub did that really well. 
Can I ask a closing question, if that's okay? Uh, uh, Daniel, Jamie, is that okay if I ask it? I'm just going to take this in a little way, but a little bit different than how Lewis Howe sort of asks his last questions. I've been really impressed since I've met you, Daniel, and what you've done and what you've built. And I love your story and I love your passion. Now, just just as a matter of interest, where do you see yourself and Cub in three years' time? We know London and we know Brisbane. Where do you see Cub expanding to over the next three years? What is your what is your dream vision of Cub for on behalf of people like us who are your members? Oh, well, I mean, in three years, we, to, to, for the boring answer, but 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 the realistic one. But we want the Daniel answer too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's well, a no, passionate answer. answer. We want that passionate Daniel, answer. The Daniel answer is, you don't know, Cub, Cub, Cub will be, and it, I mean, I would argue it already is, but Cub will be the most prominent premium business networking platform in Australia. Now, how quickly we grow in three years depends on how quickly we want to grow. Like, And by grow, I mean enter new markets, so Adelaide, Perth thing. At the absolute minimum, Cub is going to have a Gold Coast, a Parramatta, a Brisbane, a Sydney, a Melbourne, and a London within three years. We will also have a digital membership. Um, it will be the largest kind of uh, business community and networking brand and platform in the country. Um, and and if, if, you, if you reach a certain level, if your business reaches a certain stage, the natural thing to do, the most important thing for you to do will be to join CUP. Because it doesn't matter if your business gets to a certain stage. If you don't have the right friends, if you don't have the right community and network around you, you're going to have a, you're, you're in for a wild ride. You're in for a wild ride anyway, but it's a lot easier when you have the right people around you. Uh, your odds of succeeding are much greater. Um, and, and that's my goal, to make it easier for, for uh, Australian entrepreneurs to succeed. And while Cub is a premium platform, the thing we haven't spoken about, uh, and it's not accessible to, to everybody for eligibility requirements. Uh, the price is $10,000, geography, like the location of clubs. Um, while it's not, it, it is premium, it's not accessible, we are launching BOA, Business Owners App, and that will be the largest and most accessible network of business owners in Australia. And our goal is to turn BOA into the world's largest network um, uh, of entrepreneurs and business owners, ensuring every entrepreneur on the planet has access to a network uh, of others in the same position to help them accomplish their, their goals. And so, I, come, I was just going to say, when I come back from overseas, Daniel, we'll have you on as a guest again. We'll have you on as a repeat offender. We've had a few now as a, as a guest again, and we can talk in depth about BOA because I, I find BOA quite exciting too. And, and look, the message from us is, all we care about it. We love business, and we love business owners, and and all all we care about is creating something that improves their lives, that improves the lives of business owners, and helps them make their impact on this world. We believe in the power of the entrepreneur and the ability to impact the world in a positive way, and and we're creating platforms that enable them to help each other, because I believe they're I believe they're the most underserved and under-supported community in our country. Business owners always get the short end of the stick from, 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 from everybody, from the economy, from the government, from everybody. And, and I think it's time that business owners had a platform to help each other on. And that's what Cubbies and that's what Bowler is. And, and, and honestly, that's, that's what my life is dedicated to doing at this point in time, is to, is to improve the lives of business owners and help them make their impact on this world. Well, Daniel, uh, from Jamie and I, as one of your very happy and honoured members, we would both like to say thank you. 
not for just coming on our podcast today, but thank you for coming out with Cub because we have thoroughly enjoyed the journey today. And I can't see it. You know, you look at something and you think, wow, this is so amazing. How could it improve from here? But I have no doubt with your passion that it will continue uh, to grow and thrive as well. So we are honoured to be members of your organisation. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, I can't see how grateful we are to have people like you guys are members. And Cub, at the end of the day, is the community. You guys are Cub. Our community is what makes Cub special, and it's because we have special people like you that that Cub that Cub is successful for 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 the members and for us. Okay, Daniel. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.